When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. In London, this is The Economist. You're listening to Tasting Menu, our weekly highlights podcast, giving you a sample of all our coverage from the week. I'm Anne McElvoy, head of Economist Radio. And on your menu, Japan adopts Western-style entertaining. Parisian drivers are under siege and how Germany's election differs from America's. But first, closing in on cancer was our cover line this week. Science will win the technical battle against cancer, but it's only half the fight, as our cover leader explained. The numbers are stark. Cancer claimed the lives of 8.8 million people in 2015. Only heart disease caused more deaths. Around 40% of Americans will be told they have cancer during their lifetimes. It is now a bigger killer of Africans than malaria. But the statistics do not begin to capture the fear inspired by cancer's silent and implacable cellular mutiny. Thankfully, there are more promising counter-statistics owing to science's success. Cancer has become more and more survivable over recent decades, owing to a host of advances from genetic sequencing to targeted therapies. The five-year survival rate for leukaemia in America has almost doubled from 34% in the mid-1970s to 63% in 2006-12. America is home to about 15.5 million cancer survivors, a number that will grow to 20 million in the next 10 years. Technically speaking, then, it's fair to assume that one day science will vanquish most cancers. But cancer is not fought only in the lab. It is also fought in doctors' surgeries, in schools, in public health systems and in government departments. The dispatches from these battlefields are much less encouraging. And prevention still remains the best cure of all. Efforts to rein in tobacco use averted 22 million deaths, many of them to cancer, between 2008 and 2014. Yet only a tenth of the world's population lives in countries where taxes make up at least three-quarters of the price of cigarettes, as recommended by the World Health Organization. So the onus falls just as much on policymakers as those in the lab. Taxes and budgeting are a lot less exciting than tumour-zapping proton beams and antibodies with superpowers. But the decisions of technocrats are as important as the work of technicians. Cancer kills millions of people not simply for want of scientific advance, but also because of bad policy. You can read our Technology Quarterly publication in this week's issue, an in-depth report into the fight against cancer. On we go to our Europe section, though, where policy changes in France have been reshaping the country's capital city. Cars are being edged off roads in Paris, but swapping Citroëns for cycles has left a certain group rather disgruntled. Over the centuries, the French capital has been the backdrop to many warring tribes. Today's conflict pits contemporary urban combatants, enraged car owners and everybody else. The roads winding along the Seine used to be chock full of traffic. Now there's more embouteillage from joggers and cyclists. On a stretch of the right bank opposite the Eiffel Tower, formerly used as a convenient express route, 
Cars have been squeezed into a single lane, leaving the other to bicycles. Suitably bellicose Parisian language has been used. Anne Hidalgo, the socialist mayor, is waging a war against cars, said Le Monde earlier this year. Parisians, says Pierre Chasseret, of 40 million motorists, a lobby group, are living in daily hell. But though some may complain, as electric vehicles and driverless cars become the norm, this city and many others will have to adapt. It's a revolution that will be as great as the transition from horse-drawn carriages to the motor car, says Jean-Louis Missica, the head of planning at City Hall and a deputy to the mayor. Another cultural paradigm is shifting over in Japan, as we found out this week. As an article in our Asia section reported, entertaining at home, Western style, is the country's latest fad. But according to our correspondent, few Westerners would recognise the results. The Japanese love to dine out and have hospitality down to an art form known as omotenashi, yet rarely do they invite people to their homes. In a formal country where people address one another by their surnames and respect for others guides behaviour, it is all too stressful. All the same, things are changing. Japanese are now embracing the idea of humu pate, or home party in local parlance. The Japanese edition of Elle, a lifestyle magazine, has dedicated an issue to how to host with style. New recipe websites pop up daily. And from the sound of it, they can't come quickly enough. Nobuko Oba started Atelier Let's Have a Party. The name is written in the Roman alphabet, a school that runs workshops on entertaining at home after moving back to Tokyo from the American state of Ohio. There she was shocked when dressed to the nines for dinner at the house of one of her husband's American colleagues, the meal turned out to be self-service from a big chunk of ham from the local supermarket. Hmm, delicious, if a bit ham-fisted. Time now for a tender carving of our other podcast from the week. And President Donald Trump has a few important seats to fill. With the resignation of the vice chair of the US Federal Reserve last week, the board has been left pretty well vacated. Four out of seven seats are empty. So who will he name as his candidates? In our Money Talks podcast, Henry Kerr, our US economics editor, gave us his tips for the race. So there was quite a a significant day in the Fed race uh, after we spoke last time when Gary Cohen gave this interview to the Financial Times in which he was critical of President Trump's response to the white supremacist march in Charlottesville. And on the same day, Janet Yellen uh, gave a kind of resolute defence of Uh, the post-crisis increase in financial regulations that Donald Trump has said he wanted to unwind. So from those two events, people have been saying that the chances of uh, both Janet Yellen and uh, Gary Cohn have fallen. In our science and technology show, Babbage, we explored a technology which could be a key element of emerging smart cities. LoRa is a cheap and cheerful alternative to Wi-Fi. Our science correspondent, Ananyu Bhattacharya, explained why this one's a better bet. It is a radio wave, uh, which is exactly like Wi-Fi. The frequency it uses, though, is lower, and so it travels a bit further, and it uses a sort of encoding process, a modulation process called chirp spread modulation. And what that does is it gives the wave a very specific fingerprint that receivers can easily recognize at long distances. 
And in our weekly chat show, The Economist Asks, I had as my guest the leader of Britain's Liberal Democrat Party, Vince Cable. And I asked him whether Chancellor Angela Merkel in Germany should have offered a bit more to Britain's then Prime Minister, David Cameron, in the negotiations before the EU referendum. I wanted to know whether it should be playing on her conscience, given the result. I think so. Yes, I think there is criticism on both sides. I mean, for a whole complex history of reasons, um, David Cameron didn't succeed in the negotiation. I don't know. I wasn't there. I wasn't a fly on the wall. I was disappointed. I think you know there is a potential for looking at these issues more in future. But I think they were they did make a mistake. Yeah, I think they probably underestimated the problem the British had should have been more accommodating. Yes, I think there was failure on both sides. Finally, a letter from one of our readers put a positive spin on our recent proclamation that Germany's election is pretty darn monotonous. Germany's election may be one of the most boring ever, but as our candidates are so ordinary, at least I don't have to endure endless coverage of Angela Merkel's emails or of Martin Schulz groping women. Es ist überhaupt nicht langweilig, or perhaps boring is best. And that's it for this week's Tasting Menu. If you have any thoughts about any of our shows, as always, email us radio at economist.com. We do read them. And you can join us on Twitter too. In London, this is The Economist.